This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Welcome, everyone, into the Football Odyssey, part of the Sports History Network. This is your host, Aaron Harris. Today's episode will be an interview with Robert Andrew Powell. Robert is a journalist and an author of three books. His first book, We Own This Game, A Season in the Adult World of Youth Football, chronicles the lives of various coaches, parents, and administrators of the Liberty City Warriors in the Pop Warner League in Miami, Florida. The book is an interesting glimpse into the most competitive youth football league in America, in which coaches are routinely in danger of losing their jobs if they don't compete for the chance to go to Disney World to play in the Pop Warner Super Bowl, and boosters are willing to pay up to thousands of dollars to recruit kids to come play in their neighborhood teams. The high-stakes world of youth football in Liberty City has gained more attention in the recent years thanks to the 2018 Stars docuseries, The Warriors of Liberty City, along with regional and national news coverage of the neighborhood's reputation for turning out NFL talent that includes Antonio Brown, Devontae Freeman, and Chad Johnson. Robert, however, was the first to bring this subject to the mainstream, and his book was listed as a Sports Illustrated Book of the Year in 2003. I hope you enjoy this episode, and as always, thank you for listening. Are you still living in Miami? I'm in Miami. I haven't been here continuously since the book. I did a project in Boulder, Colorado, and I wrote a book in Juarez, Mexico. But I had to live somewhere, and so I came back. I'll probably be here for the duration. And you're from the Midwest originally? Yeah, I grew up in Chicago. So is Miami kind of like your official home now? Have you been there longer than I've lived here longer than I lived in Chicago. Like this is the longest I've ever lived anywhere. This is I own my apartment. Um, I've aged in fully into adulthood and beyond. This is this is it. I'm a Miami and at this. And you're still working as a journalist. Yeah. Trying to, it's uh, it's challenging in this environment, as everyone knows. But uh, I still, what I put on my taxes every year, journalist. Do you enjoy working as a freelancer more than working for one paper? I enjoy security. Like all my fantasies now have to do with security, and freelancing doesn't give you any of that. But what I do like about freelancing um, is the is the freedom. Um, th- this book I did in Mexico, the only way I could have ever done it is I did not have a job. Um, I'm grateful for the opportunity that came out of it. I always feel that there's an upside to everything, and uh, there's an upside to freelancing. And I've been doing it. You know, I, I haven't had a job since I quit to write this book, um, and I'm still here. So. It's working out. Yeah, it's, it's, there's always a, a trade-off for everything, but if it makes it worth it, it always works out, right? Yeah, I mean, there, there's an upside to everything. And and I, I put myself in this position on purpose, and I must have done it for a reason. I'm Like I said, you know, all my fantasies are about security, but that's because I put myself in a very insecure place on purpose. 
and I I've lived there for two decades now. And is your sweater a Oakland Raiders jersey or? Yes, yes. I, I got this to uh, um for a running race. I, was, I bought it at Goodwill for one dollar to throw it away at the starting line, and I like it so much that I kept it. Are are you a Raiders fan? No, I uh, I like the Packers because I went to college at a small school in Wisconsin, and I I just find it really uh, incredible still that there's a team in in Green Bay, and I like I like the socialist uh, um, underpinning of that team. And then after being here for so long, I like the Dolphins, even though it's it's sad to be a fan. Yeah, I think right now you're definitely in good hands being a Packers fan. Well, I mean, I, I'm enjoying that. And, you know, I, I grew up in Chicago, so I liked the Bears when they were in the Super Bowl. And then I went to Wisconsin and I I didn't like the Packers when I was in college. But I learned, um, you know, just the oddity of that. You know, where I went to college, you wouldn't think there would be an, a pro football team anywhere near there. And there was. And I love that. And then I've had some good quarterbacks since then. So it's hard not to root for the Packers. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. They're yeah, they're a very easy team to root for, and especially the fan base too, because it seems that every team has some sort of anecdote about the fans that kind of ruin the team for other people. But the Packers, you don't really hear about it too often. It seems like everybody has good things to say about the team and the fans. I think I identify with Buffalo's fans the most, though. Like if I if I had, if I had to choose a team based on disposition, I, I would be in the Bills Mafia, which I'm not, but I I. I have a soft spot for them. So I'm rooting for them on Sunday too. And and it's exciting that the Super Bowl could be played between the two, I think, smallest market teams in the NFL. I, I would love that. I would love yeah. it. I, but I would love it if the Packers played anybody. So, <laughs> so you're, Tom Brady doesn't get in. Yeah. Yeah, come on, Tom. Give the rest of the NFL a shot. Now, your first book, uh, We Own This Game, A Season in the Adult World of Youth Football. To me, it was interesting because as someone who collects football books, there's not a whole lot out there about youth football. And truthfully, I can't think of another one besides this one. And really, the book isn't so much about youth football as it is about the adults, you know, the parents, the coaches, the administrators that surround the sport. What prompted you to write a book about such a unique topic like this? Um. Well, it started, I, I, was, I was working in a weekly magazine newspaper in, in Miami, weekly, and um, always looking out for stories. And I saw a little blurb in the Miami Herald newspaper, a Pop Warner uh, football championship for like six-year-olds, and there were more than a thousand people who had gone to the game. Um, whatever the exact number, it's in the book. And uh, I just thought that was really odd that so many people would go to see football at that young an age. And so I went, when I went to check it out, I noticed that the entire culture, the sport, everyone playing, all the fans were black. And I, I'd covered uh, Miami city politics for seven years at the paper. And so I had a pretty, um, pretty good grounding in, in the demographics and the political power of, of Miami. And I thought this was the most positive, um, expression of black culture that I had seen and it was so intense with so many people so involved in it um I just had you know like the spider sense 
so that if I hung out and I to this community, a story would reveal itself. And um, I was right. And when you were going into writing the book, did you have a certain outline that you wanted to follow when you were going in? Or did you kind of go in, follow them, keep a little bit of a journal and then craft your narrative from there? Yeah, no, I, I, it started with this book and it, it's just become, um, it started with this book and it's just become more, um, more of my philosophy since then. Um, I go in cold. I don't know anything. I know nothing. Um, like I said, I had some grounding in, in the demographics of Miami and the political culture, but I didn't know anything about the football. I didn't have any players and I didn't have an agenda. Um, and, and over time, especially with my book in Juarez, Mexico, uh, I've come to really appreciate that um, reporting philosophy. I, I, I think it's the anti-Google journalism. I think so many journalists, they look up what they want to say before they even start reporting. Um, and they kind of have their narrative in advance. And I just, I didn't have a narrative and I didn't know where this was going to go. I just saw all these people and I saw all this passion and I saw the demographics of it. And I just, I just felt there would be something and that if, if I invested my time, I would be rewarded. And I feel like it worked out that way. Yeah. And when you were going in to write the book, did you have any strong opinions one way or the other about youth football? Um, I didn't play it. I, I, uh, I played soccer and ice hockey were my sports growing up. Um, you know, football's in Illinois, but it's nothing like it is down here in South Florida. Like I, I went to a high school game before I started this process. It was like the, the state semifinals down in Miami and, you know, the quarterback would be the quarterback at LSU the next year. And, and like everybody looked like, like they were pros and compared to my high school football, it was just, you know, light years better. And so, um, I think the most attractive part to me about football in Miami was how excellent it was. And it's just an exceptionally good culture of football. And that was more attractive to me than even the sport of football, like, in which I, I, I spend too much of my time watching. I grew up in Central Florida, and my high school actually yeah. won the state championship in 2010. And we played a a team. I don't remember the universe, I don't remember the name of the school, but they were from South Florida. And it was like a 56-55 overtime victory. And their quarterback had about 450 yards passing. I mean, they were really operating like in a, a pro offense. You know, they were spreading the ball yeah. out. And that was before kind of the spread offense, I think, had really taken over the entire game. And watching what they were doing was just unbelievable. And how South Florida has become like such a football factory. That's that's the way I felt when I first got exposed to it. I I, I couldn't believe how good it was. Yeah. And whenever you started writing the book, what was kind of your first order of business? Did you reach out to Coach Brian of Liberty City and say, "Hey, introduce yourself, and this is what I want to do"? Or how did you go about kind of establishing connections? I I I just showed up. Um, there, there there's a lot to be said for journalism of just showing up. I didn't I didn't have any introduction. Um, my newspaper at the time didn't have any cachet. I thought it was a quality newspaper, but it didn't open doors for anybody. 
Um, I'm, a, I'm a middle class white guy, obviously, but I feel like if you just show up, you be yourself, you say, this is what I want to do. Can I follow the team? Um, people will notice if you put in the work and, and, and I don't try to be anyone that I'm not. I don't try to pretend that I'm anyone that I'm not. I have the background that I have, but I feel um, as a general philosophy, we all have so much more in common than we don't. And I feel I can connect with people and I feel like people um, can accept me uh, as a, at least as being sincere. Um, but then also with a book, people don't even think it's ever going to come out. <laughs> like with TV cameras, they, re they respond much differently than they do to a guy who's just there with a notebook. Right. So when you talk about being able to connect with people, who was someone in the book that you felt that you had a really good connection with while you were writing it? Coach Brian, the the head coach of the of the main team that I followed, I I just I just think he's a great guy. Um, you, you could write on paper that he uh, his resume isn't so hot. Um, he's born poor, um, but I just think he has a a great heart. I think he's a great person. I think his struggles are. Um, are cultural, you know, it, it, it's harder to be born poor, but even though he was born in Liberty City, even though he doesn't have much money, uh, he's raising a family and he's just an admirable, admirable role model to me for just how to be positive as a choice. He's a positive person by choice. And I, you know, a lot of people aren't, um, I, I just think he's great. But I, I, I get along with everybody, almost everybody. Um, there's this guy named McAdoo that I, I write about who's a street agent. And he's intimidating. And, and he would try to scare me sometimes. But we got past that, and I, I felt that he respected me for whatever reason. Like, I, you know, I, I, I don't assume people are going to like me or respect me. But I think it's possible to get along. And, and the, the coaches who were there and the parents who were there, um, they saw me as someone else who wanted to be there. And just by doing that, I was I was among them. And when you say you wanted to be there, do they kind of look look at you with a little hostility when you first came as someone who was just coming from the outside and observing their world and what they were doing? Or you know, do they more often than not welcome you? Not hostility at all. Um, it's, it's, you know, there wasn't a great parade welcoming me there, but, um, you know, it was my first book and I had, had my own. I'm less shy than I was, I was then, but I was pretty shy back then. So it took me a while to, you know, I, I, I'm still, I'm not the kind of guy who takes over a room as a personality. I, I'm laid back. I like to watch. And so I didn't. I didn't really assert myself into the culture. I showed up. I said who I was. This is what I'm doing, and and they just allowed me to to do my thing, and and I'm grateful for that. Yeah. Whenever I was reading the chapter about Mike Do, I thought it was interesting about how he was kind of like the um, unofficial booster for a lot of the teams out there and a lot of the kids. Um, yeah. And it really brought and it really brought to life how a lot of people looked up to him and how a lot of people had a lot on the line for youth football at such a young age. And 
Coach Bryan, too, was someone who, when I was reading the book, I, I felt like I could see him right next to me. You know, you, you had a really good way of describing uh, how he came up. And because he, I think it was him when you were telling the story about when he was at college or when he was in high school, you know, he was in school with a bunch of guys that he didn't really respect education. So he would just go work half the day. And to see how yeah. that really shaped his life, I thought was really inspiring to read. Well, I'm sorry. When the book came out, I got interviewed on National Public Radio, and they, they kind of knocked Brian for being this guy who dropped out of college and said going to college was the stupidest thing he'd ever done. And I just, I just did not take it that way. I, I took Brian's approach to everything um, uh, in, in the best possible light. College wasn't for him. And, and, and for other people, for me, college was assumed. Um, and because culturally from my family that I grew up in, it, it was assumed I was going to go to college. He wasn't in that position and he had a different culture and he's, he's a very good guy. And I don't know if going to college would have improved his life specifically. Well, yeah. He's at the post office right now. He, he's a postman. He's, uh, he's got a government job. So he, he's pretty, he's pretty grateful for that. Well, yeah, and that kind of aligns with a lot of the the debate now about college, right? It's, you know, you're so expected to go now that there's not really a lot of consideration for what a person can do if they choose an alternative career path. And I think hearing hearing examples like that kind of shed light on the fact that you can still have a good career without having to put out the money to get the the kind of education. I just, you know, I I, I look at... My my colleagues who go to college and get graduate degrees, and, and I look at him, and I just think that from his background, it wasn't really so straightforward. Like, he doesn't have a great career. He, he's at the post office. It's good. It's nice and stable for him. I wouldn't want it. Um, it's it's interesting. I mean, Liberty City has has a culture, and he's part of the culture of Liberty City, which is distinct from the culture of you know, suburban Chicago, which is where I grew up. And to go off that culture, you know, there's been a lot that's been reported about Liberty City, about how they've had a lot of guys who have come out of there. Um, you know, Devontae Freeman, Antonio Brown, there's been a lot of talent that's come out there. And they start so young. And I, I was kind of curious, from your experience, how many of the kids that were enrolled in youth football were enrolled to – have that first step towards a career as a professional versus how many of them were enrolled to really keep them away from being under the influence of drug dealers or street gangs? I would say it's a hundred percent. We're on the first step mm-hmm. of the professional career. Like it, it was, it was, um, it was viewed as a viable career path that hard work could had demonstrable results. And, uh, you know, people knew the numbers. They, they knew statistically only so many would get four, but all of them were on the train, all of them. And their parents, single parents, two parents, uncle, they would push them into it. And, and the kids were, um, they bought into it. They knew what they were there to do. I found them adorable and innocent and beautiful, um, you know, eight, nine-year-old kids but they they were it was there was a professionalism to it at that age that um I had never seen before for sure 
And, and were those kids aware of that sort of pressure, that pressure to be a professional or for them, was it still just going out there and having fun? It wasn't going out there and having fun, but they enjoyed playing. Like it wasn't, I didn't see, I didn't see kids feel that gave me the impression they were being tortured. I didn't see kids crying because they didn't want to play. Um, they enjoyed the sport. I, I, there must be some self-selection. Like all the kids there liked to play football, and and they played very hard and very focused at an extremely young age, and it was impressive. Just the way the whole culture. But the kids were part of it. Like I didn't, I never felt I was watching kids be abused at all. Did you ever see the uh, Vice segment that they did about Liberty City from a few years ago? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they contacted me. I, 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 I met with the producer about that. Yeah. Did you really? Did you give an interview with them, or did you decline to be interviewed? They didn't want to interview me on camera, but I helped them out. You know, I, I, I told them that I felt that the, the statute of limitations on my knowledge had expired. So I was like, "It's you're free to do whatever you want, and this is what I wrote, and read it if you want." Um, I like I. I like that. I mean, I, I, I love I love stories about Miami. I, I love stories that are grounded in reality. And I always felt Liberty City was so colorful. And in a book, you can't, you can't. Um, there's advantages to writing for sure, but I always like the color of Liberty City. I like the look of it, the feel of it, the sound of it. I like the way people talk. Um, and so I, I I watched those documentaries and I appreciated them for what they were. Yeah. Yeah. And when you talk about the visual component, you know, whenever I was reading the book, I was you know, painting a picture in my head of like what it was going to be like. And then after I finished yeah. it, I went back to I went on YouTube and watched it because I had saw the the segment on like the recommendation feed. But I didn't want to watch it until after I read the book. And, you know, when you see kind of how really outstanding the quality of play is for these kids it was incredible you know i almost felt like i was watching high schoolers yeah right and then when i watched our high schoolers i felt like i was watching college you know good college i thought you know when i watched miami high schools play each other i thought i was watching lsu versus auburn and something i thought was interesting about that documentary too was whenever they talk about the young boy who was killed um, at a gas station. I think he was only six years old. I met that boy. I knew, that, I knew who he was. Yeah. Really? Did you meet his father as well? No. Like I, 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 I met him as a young boy who was on the scene. That's all I knew him as. But yeah. This was and, pre any, any flowering of athletic potential. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. It's, you know, you know, reading something like that, how going back to what you were talking about, the community, how they celebrate around this sport of youth football. And to yeah. me, it, it, you really saw like how it keeps a lot of these people sane, you know. And then whenever there was whenever they were praying before a game, you know, they pray for safety and everything like that. But then also kind of prayers for, you know, a shot of professionalism or, you know, to play pro. And you just see kind of really how reliant they are on it for their sense of, you know, security and just their sense of happiness. It, I mean, it it it, it was the culture. It, it wasn't it, it wasn't really a subculture. It it kind of was the culture in Liberty City, and 
as, as I as I say repeatedly, it's a positive thing. I mean, it's from the suburbs. I could look at it as if it's overt, overtly serious, too serious, or too invested in youth football, and 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 that's a fair argument. But when I see what the community is, this is just a positive thing, and it's also cultural pride. You know, no nobody. You know, the title of the book is "We Own This Game" because in the black community, they felt we're incredible at this, and no one else in Miami has this. We own football, and they do, and and they're great at it, and that's organic. It bubbled up. They made themselves excellent at it. And hearing how you got the um, the title of the book from someone who had mentioned that we own this game, because I think you closed off one of the chapters with, um, I don't remember who said it, but he said we own this game. And I think that's just- a, Luther Campbell, well, Luther yeah, Campbell, Uncle Luke. When you hear it, you just know right there and then, like that was a good title for the book. I, yeah. Um, I did, This is my first book, and so they made me um, have a different subtitle. I, I was going to say something like pride and politics in the cradle of football. And they made me put youth football in. And now in hindsight, I really wish I would have fought on that point because I, it's about youth football, but I don't think the purpose, the main, the main thrust of the book is about youth football. That's just the, the culture in which to examine larger points about Miami and about people. I feel. And we've talked about the, the positive aspects of youth football um, in Miami. Uh, but you also talk about how the scene can kind of be littered with, you know, drug dealers or street gangs as well. Can you talk about the impact that those like street gangs and drug dealers have on the culture of youth football around there? And I guess, you know, what are they trying to gain from being in that environment? I just speaking generally, um, People from the the neighborhood, however they make their money, they're still from the neighborhood and they're still from the culture. And, uh, you know, it's well known that there are drug gangs in, in Liberty City and in Miami's black community. And those people tend to not abandon the community, however they make their money. And, and people know them and people know that they're good for help when they're struggling. Like, they're part of the community. Now... They make their money in a way that's illegal, um, but I would argue so does Chase Bank. And, um, you know, like we talk about McAdoo, he had, he had a son, Martin, who was apparently the best player uh, at the youth level before I got there. And he was out because he had bad grades, but he wore number 61 to be down with 61st Street, which was a straight call out to a gang called the John Doe's who worked on 61st Street that his father, McAdoo, was tight with. Now, McAdoo didn't strike me as a criminal in his day-to-day life, but he was tight with people, and those people gave him money, and the money ended up um, in the hands of football players and their families. And I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't feel too morally righteous when I, when I look at it. I, I look at you know, in Miami, we, we kind of all celebrate hustling, even if it's illegal. You know, you respect the hustle. Um, I, I, I strongly feel like I don't break any laws in my life. But um, 
I, I don't I don't knock the profession itself. I, I knock violence, of course. I, I, I knock um, killing. Liberty City's unduly dangerous. Um, and and you know, just be flipping around the news, and there's video of a shootout in the middle of the street of of people, and it's it's disgusting. And that's connected with the drug gangs, absolutely. So I, I don't I don't celebrate that aspect of the culture, but I, I I'm not I'm not wholly um, condemning it either, which is awkward, I guess. What what about uh, gambling on the games? You you talk a little bit about um, or mentioned that there was some gambling going on. Was it really as prevalent as I guess it was, some? It was reports- more prevalent. It was more prevalent. It's it's huge. Like people were gambling very big money on very young players, and I think that's one reason why that Pop Warner Championship of six year olds it got so many people there. People take it very seriously, and people gamble on sports. Um, you know, Bill Simmons gambles on the NFL and NBA, and these people gamble on the sports that are played in their community. It's serious sports, and 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 gambling was a factor. There was. Um, you know, it was at least a decade ago, but I, I was driving around and I heard on my radio that Northwestern football players were caught up in a gambling thing. And I immediately thought it was Northwestern High School in Miami because I, I thought that was a great um, environment to have an illegal gambling fixing scandal that no one has written about. But it turned out to be Northwestern University where I went to college to grad school but um i wouldn't be surprised if there is price i mean game fixing you know at the 10 year old level in this culture i didn't see specifically or i would have written about it but if if i if i hear that um some high school game in miami was corrupted by by point shaving i would be the last person who would be surprised i expect it's happening and, and that's fascinating. I would love to know more. Yeah. There's a lot of pressure. I mean, there's real money floating around and these guys aren't getting paid. Well, yeah. And I know I watched a video that Outside the Lines did about how you had kids that would get money if they got like a kick return for a touchdown and, yeah. you know, kind of incentives like that. It kind of makes you wonder, you know, if there was enough money on the line, would they try to facilitate the outcome of a game? I just assume that it has to happen, although I've never seen it myself. Just, I assume it. So it's been 18 years since you've written the book. <laughs> Have you reread it at all in the past few years? I, I flipped through it when you contacted me. I hadn't, uh, hadn't read it in a long time. I just got, I got contacted a week ago by McAdoo's grown daughter, who's 42 and living in South Carolina. And that came out of the blue. And she, her, her McAdoo died about uh, a decade ago. And um, she just wanted to know if I had any audio tape of him speaking, which I can understand. But I, you know, it's, it's been 20 years ago since I taped McAdoo doing anything. And so I don't have that tape anymore. Um, I, I, I think about the book, but it's also, it's a first book. And in some ways, I, I can't pick it up. I can't read it. Like I just have to go forward. 
so you've written two books since you published that one. When you go yeah. back and read, what, what about it makes it tough for you to read? Do you just notice maybe like like the McAdoo chapter, which I hope there's a huge series of typos. You know, there, there's that, and then there's also sentence structure. I think any writer wants to rewrite. I would rewrite every sentence of this book. I, I would rewrite the very first opening sentence in the book, and that's just hard to to look at at things that I would like to fix that are, you know, this is this is set. It's set in stone and it's done, and you have to move forward. But it, as the creator, it's hard to um, it's hard to look at what I did and 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 just be content with it. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like a memento for how you really began as an author, and it's it's a period in my life. Uh, this book I did in Colorado, it's it's like a it's like a diary entry almost. It's it's a this this is where I was at that time when I went to Mexico. It's, this is where I was at that time, and it, it's a great gift to me to be able to document where I was in my life. But I I'm not in this place anymore, and and I look at it and I marvel that I was there and that it happened. But it's it's just not my my day to day life anymore. From what you remember, were there any stories that you didn't include in the book that looking back you wish you would have? Not that. I, I, I think what's interesting is, is, is what's happened to people. You know, Diamond, the, the main kid that I focus on, he's dead. He, um, I think he died in 19. And, and before he died, he, he'd been arrested. There's pictures of him on Facebook holding guns and drugs and, and money. And it's like, when I knew Diamond, he was an innocent, cute, smart, um, engaging child. And, and when I was there, I, I thought all the kids were great. And, and the coaches like Coach Brian were like, you know, statistically, most of these, most of these kids are fucked. And I, I couldn't believe it. But now... 20 years later, you can look at the stats, and yeah, most of them were. One of them's in jail for capital murder. He's never getting out. He killed a man. Um, and it's, it's uh, what I find most interesting is, is sort of the, 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 the tragic aspect of it. That a lot of these people were destined to have really um, brutal and brutally short lives, and they did. And yet I, I found that hard to accept when I was there. Because all I saw was potential and 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 the good aspects of, of just being alive and, and and being energetic and extremely young, I, I found them hopeful and exciting. And it turns out, yeah, they, they they did have the lives that the coaches predicted they would. Did you ever see any of the kids from the time that you finished the book up until when you heard about them on the news? I just. Uh, the guy who committed murder, I ran into him once. I, I was I was hanging out with McAdoo at the project called the Pork and Beans. And it was it's just when I would hang out with McAdoo, it would be so um I don't know. Scenic, I guess. It'd be like two thirty, three in the morning, and he would be smoking the biggest blunt I'd ever seen, and we'd be drinking cognac and and this guy rolled up, and it was it was, it was one of the kids. I, I forget his name right now, but he's in the book. And 
and he's out. You know, he's probably 16, 15 at the time, and he, he was out at 3, 4 in the morning in the projects. And, and by the time he was 18, he was in jail, where he'll be for the rest of his life for killing someone. And And you could tell that he was going down that path, and yet when he interacted with me, it was only that connection that we made when 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 he was young and, and in my eyes wholesome. So I got along with him, and then when he got arrested, I was like, "That completely sucks, and it's terrible that he did that, and he deserves the punishment he's going to get." And I just felt sad that it happened. So take that kind of night, for instance, when you're with McAdoo. Did anything in your mind ever kind of make you want to revisit this topic? You know, maybe not necessarily write a sequel to the book about their high school football career if they had one, but maybe just kind of revisit them to see, you know, Coach Bryan's hypothesis or, you know, foreshadowing how they would become. I would like to. I have that kind of curiosity. But there's, you know, this book didn't make much money. It didn't make much of a splash. There's not like some economic um, pull to doing this project. And I have to make a living. And so I find other things that, that engage me. You know, I with every book I've done, I could spend 20 years on that book. And I would like to. Um, but you have to. You have to stop the project at some point. And... I'm curious about all these people. I still like Liberty City. I still go over there when I can, um, just because I like being around it. I like this. I like the sound of it. I like the feel of it. I like the. To me, it's what Miami is more than anything else in this city. Is is Liberty City? It feels very real and and gritty, and there's a beauty in the grit, and that's what Luther Campbell talks about. They people in Liberty City feel that their neighborhood is beautiful. And, and any objective examination, you find that hard to believe. But the people who live there, they see the beauty in it. Yeah. And you know, since we kind of talked about it in the beginning about there's an upside to everything. Yeah. You know, have you seen examples of uh, kids that grew up and really had a good life moving forward? You know, whether they made it to the NFL or whether they went to college and got an education. I didn't. I haven't. But I haven't followed them all, and I'm assuming, you know, what, what Coach Brian and the other coaches said, about 30% of them probably have pretty decent lives, and it's the 70% who don't. Um, I would love, I, I'd love to follow but I, I don't know if that's ever going to happen. There's a guy... There's a one of the kids. He he was. Everyone's like, oh, you don't know him. He, he's a great singer. He's a singer. Um, and then when he was about 15, he had a hit. I, I'm forgetting his name, but he had a hit when he was 15. And now that's 15 years ago. And uh, I'd love to know what's up with him now because I, I don't hear his name anymore. I don't. He's not a star. But he had a hit when he was a teenager, and I'd love to know everything about what happened to him. What about you mentioned that Coach Brian's at the post office? Is he still coaching youth football? I haven't talked to him in a bit. I I, I feel a connection with him. I feel like he's a friend, and yet I haven't talked to him in a, in a couple of years. What about uh, Coach Campos? Whatever happened to him? <laughs> I 
he i don't care about I, <laughs> like i did i haven't heard him i haven't seen him in the news and um there's someone you know like i say I, I get along with most people and i sort of understood him but i i did i didn't like him as a person just for whatever reason sometimes you don't like people do you think he was kind of the prime example of what people refer to as like what's wrong with youth football when you have like the overzealous coach? Yeah, he's in that he's in that ballpark, sure. I mean he I mean he's the guy who, who parachuted in and tried to professionalize. I mean he almost literally parachuted and he helicoptered in. Um and just tried to you know, he, he thought he was a big shit because he could win at Pop Warner. Um, where I would argue that anyone could win with these players um, in Miami, and I, I, yes, I, I, but I, I think there's a big separation between him and and um, you know the the baseball parents I saw in the suburbs of Chicago who also have their own ugliness. There's there's a certain you know there's this suburban overinvestment in sports. And then there's also, I mean, Coach Campos was was outsized and unique. Like I, I don't think he's, um, he, I don't think he's similar to like the, the kind of youth soccer parents is, who spend hundred thousand dollars a year to get their kids into tournaments. Um, he, it's, he was unique. Did he? He was the one that was writing a book, wasn't he? His autobiography. Yeah. Did yeah, he have a Hasn't come out yet. Hard to get published, man. Yeah, yeah. Maybe, maybe you should reach out and give him some advice. Uh, it's hard for me to get published. All, all three of my books have been barely published, and I'm grateful that they were. But it's not. This isn't. Uh, um, it's not a clear cut path. It's, I, you know, not only did I not have a story when I went in to report this, I didn't have a book contract. I didn't have an agent. I just went and and had a sort of sort of blind faith that I could get something out of it and i did and it worked out but i i think if i was less naive i never would have even started because the odds were absolutely against me yeah i mean i barely got looking back do you think maybe you would have done um because you mentioned how you had done this as an assignment originally do you think that you would have done something with the story maybe not write a book but maybe do like you know some long form articles like a recurring column or do you think that I I I'd been at a at a work party, and one of the editors had told me that it would be a sin if I didn't write a book. And I'm always wondering, like, if I didn't go to that party, what would have happened in my life? Because that just planted a seed that I needed to write a book. And I I felt that at the newspaper I'd reached my end game. It was I needed to do something different, and so I was like, this I'm gonna I'm gonna go write a book. And you know, I, I'd read like Friday Night Lights and it sounded, you know, my naivete, I thought this guy just up and moved to Texas, but it turns out he'd been a Neiman fellow, which is extremely prestigious. And he had it all lined up before he went out there. And I didn't have any of that. And I didn't even know I needed that. And if I had known, I never would have started. So it's I, like, there's an upside to naivete as well. Like, you know, I came very close to not having this book published, and I'd already put in the whole season. I'd already written a lot of it, and for a while it looked like it wouldn't happen. And then it, it, you know, one last chance did actually pan out, and I got published. 
did you watch the stars series, the Warriors yeah. of the City? What did yes, you think? Yes. I I love the color of it. I love I love um and I know who those guys are too who made it. Um I love uh I love Liberty City and I love the focus on it and people you know, I think more people saw that series than I read my book. Um but I you know, I like it. I like it. <laughs> But that does that feel rewarding for you in some ways that you were kind of the first person to really oh, yeah. give, give coverage to this topic? Because everything that I've seen, whether it was the Vice segment or whether it was you know the Warriors of Liberty City, everything is this is after the fact. And not only is it after the fact, it's years after the fact. I mean, you published this in two thousand three. I I I feel good about that. Yes. Um, there's there's satisfactions to it. There's satisfactions. You know, I feel like it's my niche. Like, um, um, who's, who's the great guy at ESPN? Ray Thompson. For a while, he was always like, he'd always wanted to write books, but he was having so much success doing magazine stories for ESPN. And he was like, I don't need to write books. Look, at I get to go all over the world. I get to write great stories. I get read by so many people. And I was like, well, only one guy gets that job at ESPN. He's got it and he's nailing it. So I'm going to write books, you know, I'm going to do the thing that that no one's doing. And I was the only one in Liberty City when I was there. When I went to Juarez, Mexico, there were no other reporters. I had no competition. And and I I always found that exciting. Like I I felt that my ideas were strong. And to be the only one there, I, I you know, it, it's a bit of a rush. And And you need that kind of faith in your idea or else you it's too easy to give up yeah and your subsequent books were about sports and culture too as well right well i i feel i feel like my my niche is that i write sports books that have nothing to do with sports and 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 my goal is to get a decathlon to do a different sport every time even though it's not it's not financially remunerative this isn't a this isn't the way to riches but I feel all three of my books, I, I did a book in Colorado. It's about running, but it's, it has absolutely nothing to do with running. It's about my dad and and my relationship with him. I, the book in Mexico was just what it's like to live in the murder capital of the world. <laughs> it was, compared, compared to Juarez, Mexico, uh, Liberty City looks like the campus of Stanford University. Like I used to think Liberty City was the most violent place in the world, and it's it, it's truly violent and horrific, but compared to Juarez, it's it's like a preschool. Um, Juarez was, was epically violent, and that's what the book was about, and I just embedded with a soccer team um, as a way to reveal what the city was by people who are grounded in living in, in Juarez, Mexico every day. And, and that book, um, that book is probably going to be my best book, no matter what happens from here on in. Just I felt like I was the right guy in the right place at the right time. But it all flowed. Like if I'd never done the the Juarez book, I, I mean the Liberty City book, I would have never ended up in Juarez. And so it's all connected. And and I always feel I've gone everywhere I've gone for the for a purpose and a reason. And 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 it's been interesting to me to see how it how it unfolds. Um, and and there's satisfactions to doing what I do. I, I enjoy what I do. Um, 
even though it's stressful and, and insecure as a living. It, it, what is it about using a sport as kind of a, a pathway to looking at um, either something interpersonal, like you writing about your father through running or using soccer to examine Juarez or football with Liberty City? It, it's the feeling like it's something I understood that I could ground myself in. And I think it's something other people understood. I, I think I'm going to go to Juarez, but I think it's applicable to this book and to Liberty City as well. Like in Juarez, reporters would come in and there were there were 10 murders a day when I was there in the city. And so people would come in and they would find dead bodies and they would write about how horrific it is. And it was all true. But I was like, if I just go to people who are living in the city, it will be a better way to illustrate what's happening than just finding violence. And so everyone on the soccer team in Juarez were just people living in Juarez by choice and working in Juarez by choice. And and that book, is it, it's absolutely horrific. But I didn't go in to focus on the horror. And I just focused on soccer because soccer I can understand. It's like, how am I going to illustrate this? I don't know, but I'm going to ground myself in an activity I understand. Um, in, in the Juarez book, the team was called the Indios, and it made me think of the Cleveland Indians. And it was like, I understand Cleveland Indians baseball. I don't understand everything about Cleveland. But, you know, I, I, like a lot of people in America, I, I'm a big sports fan, and I, I, fought, I spent a lot of time just watching sports. And it's, 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 it's a big part of my culture and my life. And so as, as a way into a story, um, it, it just makes organic sense for me. You know, someone else, maybe a musician would, would have a completely different um, approach. And that's one of the nice things about journalism in that 50 different writers could come up with 50 different valid, interesting stories about the exact same subject. And I just like to use sports because sports are a big deal in my life. I, I, they're kind of central to my life. I don't want to overstate that. I'm I'm mostly just a fan, but I like them and I watch a lot of them, and I think a lot of people do. Yeah, I mean, I think most people who love sports are just fans. You know, I think you may have a backyard football game, but predominantly, I think as people grow older, you know, you have less opportunity to really pursue sports as a hobby. I I mean, I can't even afford to play. Uh, even you know, I used to play. Uh, ice hockey and I used to play soccer into adulthood, but I can't afford to get injured anymore. You know, it's, it's an American, uh, dynamic. And so I don't even play anymore, but I, I still appreciate, um, lots of sports. I, you know, I, I, I watch a lot of sports, uh, in some ways it feels ridiculous that I do that, but in other ways, that's just what I'm interested in. And, 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 um, and I think, Sports are a way to illustrate a lot. Like, you know, you see some of the best writers like Michael Lewis and Wright Thompson and, and Buzz Bissinger. They they write sports books, but they're not really sports books. And those are always the kind that I've, I've always appreciated. Well, yeah. And then there's nothing, I think, more mundane. I think when you just kind of have a book that follows, say, maybe a team or maybe just um, – 
uh, I guess a person just kind of gives like these facts after facts, like uh, you might as well just be reading play by play. You know, I think when you're able to intertwine like how you did with Liberty City into how how the culture kind of relies on youth football and how one reflects the other is really what makes that kind of journalism addicting. There's a lot of bad sports books, and that's one reason why sports books can get a bad rap. But I, I think some of the very best writing I've ever read has been sports books. And so um, I, I just, you know, I, there's a lot of bad sports writing. Like people, people can get a book contract to write a quick book about, I don't know, it's not to pick on anyone, but like the 72 Dolphins or something, and it'll just be boring. But, and yet in the 72 Dolphins, you could probably do a great book, but it wouldn't really be about the 72 Dolphins. Yeah, it's always trying to find a story somewhere to be found i mean one of the reasons why i love watching like the old nfl films uh highlight reels is that you know they're they're very cinematic and have a very great production quality you know the game itself it can kind of be misrepresented you know they could take a boring game and make it so vigorating but it's just that kind of imagination i think that really adds to the element of really sports as a narrative that people really keep drawing themselves back to i i mean i agree I, I, I think sports movies, most of them are bad. Um, it's too easy to follow the cliches, and what gets greenlit by Hollywood is usually something I don't want. But sports is a is a part of life for people who are fans. It's a central part of life, and anywhere you have passion and investment, you have an interesting story. You know, I. I, I I'm turned on by passion, and and it was central to the Liberty City book. Why are a thousand people out here to watch six-year-olds play football? That's an incredible investment of time and energy, and and it turns out to be passion. And and I knew from there a book would come out. So my last question I have for you is: if you were to write another football book, um, what do you think you would be interested in pursuing? Just something, something that would be new to me. Um, what I'm finding is in this new age of documentaries with Amazon and Netflix and Apple and all these new streaming services, and they all want to have free, they're going so deep in with these teams. I'm getting a lot of what I want answered, answered. Like, I'm seeing what it's like to be a professional athlete at that level in America or even in the Premier League and soccer in England. And I, I just, I'm, I'm entertained and, and educated and, and content by that. And so I don't, have a, I don't have a football book at the moment itching to be written because what I, what I want, I'm sort of getting, I'm getting it, um, mostly from TV documentaries, which is uh, something I never would have predicted at this time. Yeah, it's like reading... Um... Did you ever read like three bricks shy of a load? No, or like but I will. Last season of Weekly Bank, you know those those kind of like embedded journalists where they follow a team. Like yeah, these- no, I mean I've always been into embedded journalism. Like that's a that's a big, you know. I, I feel my niche is more than sports. It's it's immersion journalism, and um, um, I've always liked that. But I feel like these documentaries now are doing a very good job of embedding. They're embedding for like an entire season and, and they're getting, they're obviously there for so long that they're getting intimate, real 
um, details. And it, I find it very satisfying. Um, well, and I think also too, beyond the documentaries, even just the athletes themselves, when they post on you know YouTube or yeah. Twitter, Instagram, yeah. you know, the, the mystique has kind of gone away a little bit when they themselves just put out what's happening on the inside. I, I, you know, what I would want to know is the real thing. Like, he, like I'll just use him because he's in Miami, and it, it, you know, David Beckham is very famous and has a very big image, and he's very successful. And I feel like I don't in any way know who the real guy is, and so I'm still waiting for someone to not give uh, a published, I mean, a polished um, David Beckham approved. Um, insight into his life you know there's rooms for someone probably a football writer probably from england to do a real story about him and and i'm i'm craving it i'm not the guy to do it but i would like to know beyond you know in the modern age with him and with some other athletes who are high profile tom brady probably counts um i want to know the real thing i don't want to know what tom brady wants me to know I don't want to know what David Beckham wants me to know, although they're allowed to do this, and that's fair and, and good for them. But I, I want to know what makes people real, and almost everybody is messy. And I don't know anything messy about David Beckham or Tom Brady. Um, and and I want to know the messiness. Uh, people struggling is more interesting to me than than people just winning all the time. Very true. Well, well said. That's everything I have for you, Robert. I really appreciate you okay. to speak with me. I enjoyed the book. And you, I know I have a question for you. Are you? I mean, are you a writer? Are you? Are you an aspiring writer? I well, this actually started off as a blog, and I have a website where yeah. I started writing, but then I switched to podcasts, and I haven't written in a while. But I do enjoy writing. Yeah. Yeah, I was just wondering if your ambition was to to do a book of your own. I think down the road, I'm. I have another job outside of this, um, but it, it, it is, yeah, it, but it's definitely a passion of mine. I'm, I'm 26 right now. So I'm kind of of the belief that you really need a little bit of life experience to go along with being able to write a book. There, you, you can do great. I mean, Citizen Kane was done in his, Orson Welles did Citizen Kane in his twenties. And that's probably the best movie ever made. It's, so don't, don't wait forever don't wait forever yeah, yeah there's definitely well i think it's just about you You want to put a good product out there and right now i think i just yeah. really need to find a subject i think it would definitely be within football um at yeah. least for my first but i i would definitely want to find something that i'm really to invest a few years of my life in well i i suspect just from what i see with the energy you're putting into this angle that you probably can, and, and you probably should. Um, and I wish I, you good luck. I appreciate it. And uh, I know the book is out of print, but if anybody can find a copy on eBay, I would highly recommend putting a bid on it. Okay, it's on eBay, and then the, if you have a Kindle, you can still pick it up off Kindle. But um, like I said, I only have one copy. This is the only copy I personally own. So, cover. Do you, do you know uh, who the kid is still? I know who he is, but I don't. I'd have to read it all again. He's one of the kids from the team, yeah. And he—that's the—that's the Warriors. That's not—that's not a 
subversive gang symbol he's showing. That's just Warriors. Okay, gotcha. Cool. All right, Robert, thanks again for coming on. Best of luck on the next book, all right? Okay, thanks for having me. Good luck.